Now, I might be wrong about this, but I bet you think that the increasing level of veterinary healthcare available to your dog and cat is a good thing. And believe you me, the standard of care has improved dramatically over the 15 years that I've been a vet in practice. The reality is, though, that for many dogs and cats, this increasing standard of care is actually resulting in worse care and even early death. Let me explain. Welcome to the Call the Vet Show, the podcast that helps pet parents understand and optimize the health of their furry family so they can live the full and happy life you want for them. And here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Alex Avery. Hello and welcome to episode number 117 of the Call the Vet Show. Really happy to have you sharing your earbuds with me today. I'm veterinarian Dr. Alex, if we've not met before. I'm a vet in general practice, as well as host of this podcast and founder of OurPetsHealth.com. And really, my aim is to help you navigate the world of pet care so that you can provide the best care, the best treatment for your dog and cat, no matter what the world throws their way ultimately so that they can live the long happy and comfortable life that you want for them so if that sounds like something that you're interested in and hopefully it is then make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever app you're listening to this on so that you don't miss out on all of my future episodes and today I want to talk to you about the gold standard care which is the absolute top level the best care that modern medicine can provide our pets and this is something that i have been you know thinking about kind of long and hard for a long period of time but actually uh, a couple of episodes ago episode number 114 with dr mary gardner where we were talking about the care of our senior pets the need to really focus on quality of life even if we can't do everything that is medically possible for them that focus on quality of life is just so important and how there can be a little bit of kickback from vets within the profession but also from pet parents when we don't go down maybe the ideal in inverted commas treatment path and that's what really kind of got me thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about today so if you've not heard that episode with Dr Mary Gardner it really was a fantastic one regardless of whether you've got a senior pet now or whether you've just picked up a new puppy or kitten because fingers crossed they will become a senior pet at some point and those things that we talk about are just so relevant to everyone and so important to actually consider before you're in that situation. So after listening today, make sure you head over, head back to the archives and listen to episode number 114. But for now, let's jump into this gold standard care. And now on with the show. When I think back to some of the things that we were doing on a very regular basis, the treatments we were giving, the advice that we were giving when I was at vet school and seeing practice. And when I first came out to vet school and, and started on my career, when I think back, in a way, I sometimes cringe because what we know now is so much more advanced. The treatment options that are available to us in terms of medicine, diets, surgeries, uh, ancillary treatment modalities. So the the rise of physiotherapy, hydrotherapy, um, various other complementary therapies. We know so much more. We're able to do so much more. And the provision of these services is also 
much more widespread than it used to be. You know, maybe a treatment was only available in a couple of research institutes and universities, whereas now there are private businesses offering these likelihood in your town or certainly the nearest city without having to go to a dedicated referral centre or the two or three centres that offer that particular modality in your country. But what I'm also really cognizant of is that although the best care that was available 10, 15 years ago may seem inferior or there is a lot more that we can do, the difference in diagnostic ability and treatment options may actually only represent a relatively small increase in a patient's general health and well-being if they are suffering from a particular condition. So we might be able to make a more accurate diagnosis or a more specific diagnosis. It may even be that it's a disease that we weren't really aware of or didn't have a particular name kind of back in the day. But ultimately, the treatment remains the same. So we've, we're have we able to make a better diagnosis. But that ability to make a better diagnosis comes potentially at a significantly higher cost or is potentially more invasive to make. We also might be able to provide a different treatment. There are various new products that are on the market. Um, Our understanding of pharmaceuticals is improving and changing all the time. But the prognosis or the life expectancy may remain virtually the same. Or certainly the difference is not what most of us would consider to be truly significant A clear example here is the field of oncology, so cancer care. Now, that has increased dramatically over the last, yeah, the last kind of five years even. And it's probably the field where there's been some of the biggest improvements. And absolutely, those are improvements in very real terms. But equally, some of those improvements in inverted commas may be increasing the life expectancy by a few weeks or a few months at most. Now, in some cases, it's significantly more than that. But if we're talking about that kind of increase for the potential outlay of cost, you know, most of us would consider or question whether that really is truly worth that increased cost. And if it actually is really an improvement in the care we're able to provide our pets in real terms. And this high cost really does need to be considered in the total kind of package of care that we we provide it needs to be considered hand in hand with the standard of the gold practice treatment or investigation that we're about to pursue because we need to consider the kind of a cost benefit analysis ultimately because what this increasing cost has done is also make the best care unaffordable for for many pet parents and to be honest in all likelihood unless you're insured a lot of this care is completely out of reach of 99.9% of us out there and I would include myself in that insurance though has definitely helped but and there's a big but here as well is that as bills climb as those people who are insured continue to choose the best the gold standard referral level care for their pet so does the cost of the insurance premium. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to choose that if you're insured. Absolutely, we all want to do the best for our pet. But we need to be aware of the the bigger picture here as well, is that the cost of the insurance premium is also going to climb because ultimately insurance companies are not there to provide the best care for your pet. 
it might be what they claim in the marketing but they're there to make money for their shareholders and if they're not recouping the costs of the claims that they're paying out and then a decent percentage above this then they're not going to stay in business so what this then does is that the premiums climb and that makes insurance unaffordable for a lot of people you know you don't have to go too far and you may have even been in this situation as well that actually your dog gets to a certain age and their premium is just ridiculously high that it becomes unaffordable but equally that's the exact time of life when they're most likely to need this most costly investigative resources or uh, the top level treatments that are able to offer that that can cost an arm and a leg quite frankly and I guess another thing that I really do need to make clear is that I'm not saying that these costs are unjustifiable. The The level of training needed to provide these this gold standard care is is huge for certainly for referral level care. You're talking about vets who have um, gone to vet school. They've racked up a huge amount of debt. They've then done a um, an internship, which is generally for a year. They're likely to have then done a residency, which is another three or four years. And internships and residencies are terribly paid. So they've racked up huge debts. They've done a huge amount of training, um, and they then need to be appro- paid appropriately for the level of skill um, and care that they're able to provide equally some of the equipment that we need um, to make these diagnoses or to provide the treatment certainly in terms of surgery especially is again astronomically expensive ct scanners mri scanners specialist surgical equipment it costs a huge amount of money to to just purchase the equipment let alone maintain and replace those as they're worn out so the the cost of this care is absolutely justified and actually in many cases when we're thinking about veterinary gold standard care the cost that you pay is significantly less than the same kind of standard of treatment in some cases the exact same treatment that we ourselves are provided with by our um, human medical counterparts so don't get me wrong i'm not saying that the costs are unjustifiable but the reality is is that they are unaffordable or certainly can be unaffordable for a great many of us out there and then another thing i think we also need to consider with gold standard care is that it's what's publicized in the newspapers uh, on the tv shows if you've seen SuperVet, other shows like that you see these amazing procedures being carried out uh, and you know the, the the narrative that is portrayed is that these animals have been brought back from the brink by this you know amazing care that they are absolutely provided um, but there's no mention of cost there's very seldom the the cases that don't go to plan um but what this means is that there's this demand and there's this expectation among pet parents in general that all pets will be able to be provided with this top level care um and certainly in populations where there is a high rate of insurance it may be that the majority do get this top level care But a side effect of this is that it actually means that conditions, um, injuries that would previously have been easily or certainly readily treated by the general practitioner in your local veterinary hospital are now actually routinely being referred to specialists. Now, that in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing but what it can mean is that actually our general practitioners are losing some of the skills that they would have had you know, several years ago, because they're simply not actually handling these cases 
in-house. Now, there's a whole other reason why this is the case, certainly the increased threat of litigation. You know, if anything goes wrong, we always want to point a finger at somebody to blame. And unfortunately, sometimes things just don't go to plan. That's the nature of biology. That's the nature of dealing with health um, and maybe not having all the answers, having budgetary constraints. But unfortunately, kind of the times that we're living in now means that people are all too often very quick to point fingers to blame to say they did something wrong the vet did something wrong jump online make a negative review and so vets can be reluctant to take on some of these more difficult cases or these cases where people actually simply tend to prefer to be referred to a specialist i would also say that we're also becoming increasingly persistent in making a specific diagnosis and making a highly specific diagnosis Whenever I run tests, whenever I'm recommending an investigation, kind of plan, a course of action, I always like to think, what difference is this test going to make in the way we're going to treat the animal in front of us with the problem that they're presenting with? Because it's very easy to just kind of keep going down a path where we want to make a specific diagnosis. We want to make a specific diagnosis, but it can get to a stage where actually whether the results are positive or negative, the treatment is going to remain the same. But the cost of trying to put a specific name on the condition may then actually compromise the ability to afford subsequent treatments that that might be needed. Now, that's not to say that it's wrong to try and make a specific diagnosis. And in the majority of cases, it's certainly the right thing to do. But I think we need to be aware of of this as a potential issue and really focus on the the animal in front of us, the pet's problem, uh, and how we can focus on providing them with the best care so that the outcome is the best for them. And I guess the last thing that I'd like you to consider today when thinking of this as a topic is that... We shouldn't just dismiss options, you know, B, C or D as completely inferior. And we really want to focus on A as being the best option. That's what the vet's recommending and they're saying is the best option. And that is the only thing that we should be considering. Don't be shy of talking to your vet about maybe financial restraints, but also physical restraints. You know, there really is no point in me dispensing a whole raft of medications just because they're the best thing if you're not actually able to get them into your cat or dog. You need to be honest with your vet and your vet needs to be honest with you about what the the outcome is going to be, how the prognosis differs between um, between different options. And it may well be that actually option B or C was the gold standard best level of care only a few years previously. And so that hasn't made it less effective than it used to be. It's just maybe there is a slight increase in our ability to treat these with newer cares. But we need to think of the bigger picture here. And we don't want to just say, well, because I can't afford the top level care or because I'm not physically able to do that, I'm maybe not able to travel to a referral institution um, just because of the nature of my lifestyle, quite aside from costs. We don't want to get into a situation where we consider that because we can't do that, there's nothing that we can do there is more often than not multiple different options available to us to focus on quality of life and also quantity of life we're not kind of writing off these uh, these patients as you know hopeless and we're just providing pain relief and nothing more for example it may well be that the the outcome and the prognosis is still incredibly good equally if we are 
going down this path of not doing the best level of care it's important to bear in mind that we may be cutting corners in some situations and that may mean that we've got less knowledge to to make an informed decision and that's another thing i actually want to talk about in a future episode is informed consent um, which sounds very good on paper but is actually incredibly challenging but i think it's important that we have those honest discussions and then if things don't go to plan it's important that we don't just jump to conclusions and point fingers and say that so-and-so made a mistake or it's all their fault sometimes these things happen and they are unfortunately more likely to happen if we are going down some of the cheaper options because it may be that there's other things going on in that individual that that we are unaware of because we haven't been able to run a certain test but the reality is is those are really going to be the the minority of patients and in all likelihood the significant minority And so if I could boil this episode down into a couple of sentences, I would say don't be afraid of exploring all the options that are open to your pet. If you recognize there's a problem, if they're struggling in some way, there is action that you can take. There is action that will be affordable to you that you can take, even if it is not the so-called gold standard care that is able to be provided and then also talk to your vet be open and honest about your limitations ask questions of them as well so that you are clear in your mind what the potential outcomes are what the prognosis is if you take a specific course of action and that way together you can work as a team to do the absolute best for your pet helping your pet live the happy healthy life they deserve so thanks for joining me on today's episode it's been a little bit of a stream of consciousness so i hope my thoughts kind of made sense to you if you've got any questions or if you've got any strong feelings about this i'd love to hear from you you can find me on all the social platforms um at our pets health on instagram is probably the best place to get me send me a dm i'd love to hear from you i really love to hear hear some feedback um also i guess another thing to think about is insurance so although i talk about the potential problems pet insurance is an incredibly valuable tool and something that i do encourage everyone to at least strongly consider and uh, actually if you head back to episode number 98 um, i talk about how planning for the worst could actually save your pet's life and a complete guide to choosing um, the right pet insurance for you as well as a discussion of the alternatives so that's episode number 98 and i definitely encourage you to to check that out as well as episode 114 with dr mary gardner as i mentioned at the beginning finally i'd love it if you could share this podcast or one of these other episodes with your pet owning friends or family it helps me spread the word get the message out there and ultimately help improve the lives of more cats and dogs no matter where you are in the world and so with that in mind until next time i'm veterinarian dr alex this is the call the vet show because they're family that's it for this episode of the call the vet show be sure to visit callthevet.org to join the conversation Access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. We'll see you next time.